Well, good morning. Uh, for those of us who, who, for those of you who don't know me, I'm at, my name is Joe. I am uh, I'm one of the guys who gets to get up here occasionally and talk with y'all about the Jesus that I love. And uh, I get the privilege, not just today, but over the course of the next uh, two weeks after today. So for three weeks in a row, I get to do this, and I'm so excited about this. And um, we're going to be spending our time in an incredible little book that was a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And, and um, but before we hop into that today, I just want to, we're always going to begin with a time of scripture. And so I want to, I want to take a moment today and we're going to read out of the book of Ephesians beginning in the first chapter. So if you have your Bible with you, if you wouldn't mind turning with me, uh, turning with me to Ephesians chapter one, you're going to find the book of Ephesians about 95 to 97% of the way through your Bible. Um, it's not a very big book. It's in the middle of what are called the Pauline epistles. So letters that Paul wrote to churches that he helped plant. This one he actually wrote while he was imprisoned. So he was in an interesting season in his life when he was writing this letter, and, and to say the least. And um, these are the words that Paul wrote that were inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, for him to write to the church in Ephesians. In Ephesus, uh, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for, those of, for, for us who believe. That power is the same as, his, as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. rich in mercy, there we go, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. This morning I want to take a moment, I want to pray for you. Uh, I ask that you pray for me, pray for John and the church that he's beginning to plant up in the Northland. It's so exciting when a, new, when a new declaration of the gospel goes into a place and, there are, and we know that there are people there who do not know Jesus yet. And so we want to pray for John and his folks. And so um, if you would join me, I would appreciate it. So Heavenly Father, I am absolutely humbled by your call today to share your gospel, to share your word. I'm humbled by the fact that we get to get here, get to sit here and, and celebrate you and worship you in freedom. I am humbled by the fact that we are consistently surrounded by people who have a heartbeat 
to propel the gospel forward, to propel your love forward in places where people do not know you yet. And so today, Lord, I pray for those of us who are in this room. I pray for John and, and the folks that are helping plant a church with him, that they, are, that they are empowered with a strength that is not their own, and that the hearts of the folks of Northeast Leavenworth begin to be shaped into what you would have them to be shaped into so that they can receive the gospel the way it needs to be received. And Lord, I, uh, I give you the rest of this morning. I pray all these things in your name. I love you, and I will talk with you soon. Amen. So, like I said earlier, Ephesians. Ephesians is this great little book in the New Testament that was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And, and Paul was writing to a church that there was a lot of things going on in Ephesus that we can look at and realize are pretty similar to what we've got going on in our world today. Ephesus at that time in that area of the world was, was a, a financial center. It was a cultural center. It was an intellectual center for, for, that, for that area of the world. And uh, people there, it was also the political center for that, for that area of the world. And, and so many people, we, like, we can look and say that there's some correspondences between what's going on in Ephesus and what's going on in the United States. And so we can look and say, well, Paul, Paul was writing to people who would understand a bit of the world that we're in right now. And so we can look at these words and realize they were meant not only for the folks in Ephesus, but for us today. And, and Paul was writing not in, in a corrective way. This was not about correction, as many of the Pauline epistles were. This was about, this was about encouragement, he was writing to a group of people who knew what it meant to be separated from God and now had entered into a relationship with him and they were living in a culture where, where God was pushed aside and shunned. And so he was writing to Christ followers, followers of the way, and it was meant to be a blessing. It was meant to be a blessing to them. It, now, it was, it, was, it was meant to be a blessing. It was meant to be encouragement. It was also meant to be a little bit of a challenge, but it was all wrapped in one very important word that we're going to get to in a little bit. You see, but who in this world doesn't need to hear some words of encouragement, some words of blessing? I mean, really, we look around at the world we're living in, and who doesn't need this? Who doesn't need to hear words of love, of encouragement, of acceptance, of mercy? I mean, this is a world that there's not a lot of those words floating around. And so I think it's very important for us to spend some time today leaning in to what Paul said to the people in Ephesus at that time. Because he's going to speak to us as well. And so what I hope to do over the course of the next three weeks is do what Paul did which is to provide some needed encouragement, some direction on how we are supposed to live as Christ followers, and a challenge moving forward. You see, Paul's book to the Ephesians answers four questions. It doesn't ask four questions, but it answers four questions. It answers four questions that I believe that are as important today as they were the day that Paul wrote this. And so, real quick, I just want to share what these four questions are. And today, we're going to talk heavily about the first three. And the four questions that Paul answers are, are what are we saved from? 
Paul writes what answers the question of what are we saved from? He says that we need to be saved, but what are we being saved from? And once he answers what are we saved from, he answers, the, he answers another important question that, that, that I think is a struggle for many people, which is what are we saved by? He's answering this to people who, under, who, who thought that their, their intellect or thought their politics or thought their financial resources could save them. And he was writing to them and he's saying, no, that's not the way this works. There's another way about this and I want to share with you what this answer is. The third thing, after he told them what they were saved from and what they were saved by. See, when you're saved from somewhere, you're saved to somewhere else. And he answers, what are we saved to? And the final question that Paul answers is, what are we saved for? And so, like I said, we're going we're gonna to wrestle through these questions. And I want to give you a very Notes version of what the answer is to these. And then we're going to unpack a few of them. Because Paul answers these four questions in seven verses. And so, but then he spends the rest of the book explaining what happens and why. So we see that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we see the answer to what are we saved from. We see that when we come to Jesus through repentance and submission, we are saved from death. Not earthly death, because the mortality rate is still 100%. We're saved from something bigger. We're saved from eternal death. We're saved from eternal death and separation from Jesus. You see, we were all created for eternity. There's just don't, there's, but there's only two options as to how that plays out. There is the option that says we can continue to live our own way, and that leads to death. There is the, also the other side that says we can be saved from death when we repent and submit. We can be saved from a life that is marked by things that point to death. We can be saved from eternal separation from God and in to eternity with him. We can be saved from ourselves. The second thing that we see is what are we saved by? And like I said earlier, Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus and there folks, there, there's folks there that thought, I can be saved by my finances, by my politics, by my intellect, by my other, any number of other things. And what Paul was saying was, no, 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 no. That is not the case. And we look around our world today and we see people who are looking for answers on how to be saved and answers on how to live this world. And they're looking to all sorts of different things. They're looking to power. They're looking to, uh, looking to politics. They're looking to, to, to intellect, to wealth, to any number of other things. And what Paul was saying is that we aren't saved by anything earthly, but we are saved by something heavenly. You see, while we were dead in our sins, God made us alive through his grace grace is what we were saved by it is his grace and nothing else that will save us and like i said when once you are saved from somewhere and by something you are saved to something new and what are we saved to according to ephesians 2 verse 6 we are saved to a new seat a new identity a new standing a new life that begins with being seated with Jesus. And we are saved for God. Period. We are saved for God to use to show the incomparable riches of his grace through the kindness of Christ in our lives. We are saved for God 
to show his love through our lives. We are saved for God to use our lives as an invitation to others to experience the kindness that he has poured out on us, that they get to see through how our lives have been redefined, how they have been changed, and how they have been equipped to make not a, not a temporary impact, but an eternal one. You see, the more we trust in the words of God through the Apostle Paul, the more confidence we can have in this world. It's confidence is something that for many of us has been shaken in these last few years. Confidence is something that for many of us is shaken pretty easily. It kind of comes and goes with the waves of life. But when we have confidence that is given by Christ, it is an unwavering confidence. It is a confidence that goes well beyond, uh, well beyond our circumstances. This isn't an arrogance. Don't get me wrong. This isn't arrogance. This isn't a holier than thou. It is something completely different that is founded in the key word of the book of Ephesians. Grace. You see, this is a grace swagger. I love that word swagger. You know, you guys have met people like that. People who walk into a situation and they know who they are, why they're there, and what they're going to do now that they're there. And nothing's going to waver them from that. They've got a confidence. They've got a confidence that sometimes it's hard to explain. And this is what God this is what God is saying. This is a grace swagger. It is a confidence. It's an unearned but given confidence to those who belong to Christ. You see, it's a confidence that says, regardless of the situation that I walk into, regardless of my circumstances, I know who I am, I know whose I am, and I know what my role is right now. And there's nothing anybody can do about that. It's an unearned but given confidence we did nothing you see a great swagger is something that we have done nothing to earn it's it's a confidence we have that is not in ourselves but in the one who lives inside of us and i believe that ephesians does an incredible job of laying out how we grow in that how we live it out and how it impacts the world around us we get to see how we are empowered with that grace swagger and you see, in our series, Big Idea, that we're going to wrestle through and work with through the next three weeks is this, is that I am empowered with a grace swagger as I sit in the presence of God, walk in His Spirit, and stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. You see, grace is so important. And for us to understand the power of grace, we first must understand the sacrifice of Jesus and what that means in our lives today. So friends, if you get nothing else from what I say today, I want you to listen for the next 30 seconds. Jesus, who was God, chose to become man, lived the perfect life that none of us could live, died a death that we all deserve rose again on the third day because of the power of God in him. Ascended to the heavens, is seated with God, and did all of this because he loves you so. That, my friends, 
is the power of grace. It does something that we could never do ourselves. And it instills in us because someone loved us so much, the God of all eternity loves us so much and has loved us so much that he was willing, he chose to come for me. He chose to come for my friend Mary and my friend Dave because he loves us so. You see, that's the confidence that I talk, I'm talking about today. That's where grace swagger begins. You see, and to understand this, we though we first must sit. Because if we're in constant motion, we never get to sit and experience the power of Jesus. So we first must sit. We must stop and listen. We must cease from the labor and just be. The church word for this is we must abide in Christ. And what, what that means, guys, is we must stop everything, sit in his presence, and recognize him as preeminent. You see, without understanding the power of grace in our lives, we will move forward under our own power. And that, in the end, is not going to get us anywhere. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things you can power through individually. You may be able to, like if you smoke, you may be able to under your own power just stop cold turkey and say, I'm done with that and walk away. It's going to be hard, but you may be able to do it. There may be things. You may be able to treat someone well on the surface for a season. There, there are hurdles that you can get over, but there's going to come a day when there's a wall in your way that no matter how well you can, no matter how hard you hit it, how well you search for a way around it, or how high your ladder is, you're not going to make it. See, without grace, in the end, we will be found wanting. See, there's this old movie that my wife likes. I shouldn't say old movie because it's not that old. Um, but every time it's on in my house, we watch this goofy movie. And it's called A Knight's Tale. And um, I can't, I, it's not really one of my favorites, but there's a line at the end. Heath Ledger plays the good guy knight, and this guy named Rufus plays the bad guy knight, and they have, a, they have an encounter, and they knock each other around with, with, uh, on horses with lances and all the things. And then Rufus falls on the ground. Heath Ledger stands over the top of him, and he says this. He says, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. You see, if we try to do this on our own, there's going to come a day when we will be weighed, we will be measured, and we will be found wanting. Because in our own power, it's never enough. So we must stop ourselves from chasing the doing and just sit. You see, the teach, our teaching big idea today is that we understand the power of grace as we sit in the presence of God and let him fill us, let his spirit fill us and show us our true identity. We understand the power of grace as we sit, as we stop and sit in the presence of God. Let him fill us, let his spirit fill us up and show us our true identity. You see, we must sit. We begin with sitting in the presence of God. We will get to know the power of his grace as we sit in his presence. 
we will understand more deeply the power of his grace as we are filled with his spirit. And we will experience the power of his grace as he shows us our true identity. You see, by nature of being human, we are all created in the image of God. But our identity is not founded directly in him. We are not given a seat with him until we do our part. You see, we are given a seat when we repent of our sins, accept Jesus as Lord, and receive him as Savior. Repentance is a hard word because repentance begins with admittance. Repentance begins with admitting that on my own, sin wins. Repentance begins with admitting that there is nothing inside of me that can overcome the power of sin by myself and that my life, that is what it is marked by. Whether it be something that's big and pronounced that the whole world can look at and say, that's ain't right, or something little that's hidden. Our lives are marked with sin and repentance begins with, with admitting that and then saying, I was walking this way, which is towards my own desires, but I am no longer going here. It is the will of God and his way and I'm going this way and I'm not turning back over here. And then we move from the repentance to accepting Jesus as Lord, submitting to him as Lord, because whatever, listen, we're going to submit to something as Lord. Whether it be ourselves, if, our, if we control our desires, if our spouses control our desires and our actions, if our children, if our job, if our, if our hopes and dreams, we're going to submit to something as Lord. The author of life is the place to go. So when we submit to him as Lord, we receive him as Savior. And we are given a seat. You see, repentance, like I said, is not something that's a new concept. It's not just a Paul concept. It started, we hear this from Jesus. In Luke 5.32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Acts 2 says, says repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and the forgiveness of, and the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Acts 3 says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. You see, it is, we are being saved from ourselves and from eternal death by the grace of God. And we understand that power as we sit in his presence. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, God is waiting to give you a seat. If you repent and, re and accept and submit. God is waiting to give you a seat. And if you have yet to receive him as Lord, to accept him as Lord and receive him as Savior through repentance... My friends, today can be that day, and we're going to talk more about that, but I want you to listen today, because what we're going to talk about now is what we're saved to, this new life. We are saved by grace. We are saved to something new. And if you have accepted Jesus, I want to encourage you over the course of the next 8 to 10 minutes just to sit and listen. Listen to what Jesus says about you 
and what he has for you today. You see, we understand the power of grace as we sit and rest in God's presence. You see, sitting is so important because sitting provides rest. You know, even back in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were created, it was followed with a day of rest. They began with rest. They didn't begin with work. They began with rest. Our lives with Christ begins with rest. Sitting in him. Sitting with him. So that we can understand the power of his grace. And what is the power of his grace? We see this in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is the outflowing of the power of grace. So we understand the power of grace as we sit and rest in God's presence and we can have confidence in his grace because we are filled with his spirit. You know, earlier I read a verse from Acts 3.19 where it says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. Those times of refreshing are because the Spirit lives inside of us. A power that is not our own, but a power that comes only from heaven. And we get to see this laid out in Galatians 2.20 where it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, we can have confidence because it is no longer my life. It is the life that Christ lives in and through me. There's a confidence, there is a grace swagger, an unearned but given confidence that happens because of who lives inside of me, not because of me. You see, we are given a grace swagger as we sit and listen to God tell us who we are. I love these verses that I'm about to read in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, and because it speaks to us. At the beginning, it says, it says remember that, that at one time, you Gentiles, my friends, that's all of us. People not born into the Jewish faith or Gentiles. We are those people. So Paul is saying, hey, 2022, I'm talking to you. Listen to this. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise. That's not very encouraging. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's tough. But before Jesus, that was true of us. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, Paul is explaining to them who they are 
He's saying, you were once separated, but now you're unified. You were once apart. You were once different. Now you are God's people. You were once alienated. You are now family. This is great news. This is great news. And, but it doesn't stop with just being given this grace swagger when we sit. See, we grow in that grace swagger, in that unearned but given confidence as we sit in his presence and receive his blessings. When I was young, and still to this day, my mom was an incredible pianist. Incredible. Nothing in this world that lady can't play and make it sound like beautiful music. You could send her, Mary has a little lamb and it's going to turn into a concerto. It's going to be amazing. And when we were young, she had this grand piano and, and uh, she would practice in our living room with all sorts of different people. She'd have soloists over. She'd have, we had a quartet at our church. They'd come over and they'd play. The choir would come. And, but there was this one lady. Her name was Virginia Schofield. And Virginia... Virginia could sing the phone book and I'd pay attention. Virginia would come over a few times a year and when she did, my mom would turn our piano into a fort. She'd put blankets around it and I'd sit underneath it. And I'd have a concert from Virginia. In the summer, she would come and she would sing songs like Morning Has Broken and Amazing Grace. And at wintertime, she would sing Silent Night and Oh Holy Night and these, these beautiful songs. But she always ended with one. And I held myself together in the first service, so please forgive me if I don't this service because this is an important memory to me. She would always end with blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And she'd sing through the song and she'd go back to the beginning as I'm underneath the piano listening, listening to a concert that I thought was for me. She changed a word in that song and then I knew it was for me. She'd sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is Joey's. And she'd sing through that whole thing. And every single time she'd hit blessed assurance, she'd say, Jesus is Joey's. Virginia was singing to me and singing to Jesus at the same time. She was blessing my life. And we'd get out and she'd pull me close and she'd give me a hug and she'd say, did you hear it? Jesus is yours because you belong to him. And this is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 1, 3. When he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You see, blessings there, the word that Paul is using has nothing to do with, mo with money. It has nothing to do with talents. It has nothing to do with with status in this world or accolades, it has this. It means to be spoken well of. What Paul was saying was sit and listen. Sit and listen as God speaks well of you. He's going back to an old verse in Zephaniah where it speaks about God singing over his creation. 
And then Paul is saying, listen, just stop and listen. You see, because we, Paul is saying, you can have confidence and and, and you can sit in the confidence of Jesus, and we can sit in the confidence of, confidence of who Jesus says we are because of what he has done. And so what I want to do real quick is I want to challenge you the same way that I was challenged when I was young, and I want to bless you as much as I can in the same way that I was blessed when I was young. In the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, writes down multiple words. They're in your notes. That Jesus says about those who belong to him. Those who've submitted to him as Lord and received him as Savior. I want you to sit and I want you to listen to the blessings of God the words of Paul. God calls us blessed, chosen, holy, blameless, made new, saved God's handiwork brought near bought at a price he calls us citizens household members his holy temple free confident adopted forgiven he says we are showered with kindness complete and loved You see, grace swagger is spoken into us. Grace swagger is sung over us. Grace swagger is God's blessing spoken into us. And grace swagger is lived first by sitting. So my friends, sit and receive. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believed. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. My friends, Sit this week in who Jesus says you are. Be filled with a grace swagger. I love you, but not nearly as much as my Father in heaven does. If you need to talk with somebody, we're going to have prayer partners on both sides. What side I will see you next week. Amen.